You're listening to Taxpayers Australia's news and insights podcast, Tax Wrap. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Tax Wrap podcast. Uh, I'm Steve Burnham, joined again by David Ebden. Hello, David. Hello, Steve. And we have back with us, uh, making a reappearance, uh, Simon Dorovich from A&A Tax Legal Consulting. Thanks for being with us again, Simon. My pleasure, Steve. Now, you were with us earlier in the year talking about uh, the small business CGT concessions or the, the access to them. Uh, and you've come back to um, enlighten our listeners on the um, on the what you can access and what what you get and what you don't get, uh, uh, what you can at least I should say, um, from the concessions. Um, I must admit, I mean, um, within the CGT concession for small business, there is mentioned um, connected entities, um, which has seemed elusive to me uh, in the past. But uh, perhaps you could clear up uh, what all that entails. Uh, absolutely, Steve. Uh, well, being a, a connected entity is uh, very important. It affects, uh, for example, whether or not you need to include that entity's assets and liabilities when working out the maximum net asset value test yeah. or their turnover for the small business entity test. Uh, and when we say an entity is connected, what we really mean is that uh, it's either controlled by uh, the taxpayer in question, yeah. or they both uh, share a common controller. Uh, and control uh, means uh, an ownership interest of 40% or more, right. uh, subject to a, disc- a discretion by the commissioner. So if you have, say, a, an ownership percentage of 45%, but somebody, some unrelated party has 55%, oh, yeah. uh, you can apply to the commissioner to say that there isn't, in fact, control. Okay, yep. Uh, now, it gets a bit tricky when you're dealing with discretionary trusts because, of course, uh, unlike a company that has uh, has shares that are you know, clearly listed on the register, a discretionary trust uh, distributions are obviously, obviously subject to the discretion of the trustee. Of course, as so in the name, yeah. Exactly mm. right. Uh, so there are special rules there. And broadly speaking, what, what you do is you look at uh, what distributions were made. So if a beneficiary has a distribution of 40% or more, that will establish them as being connected to the trust for the following income year and, importantly, the next four years. So very important to think ahead mm. uh, in the years leading up to a potential sale or or other CGT event where you could be applying these concessions yep. uh, and think, well, do I want uh, this beneficiary to be connected or not? Right, right. To put that into your planning. Well, if there isn't any profit to distribute then, Simon? Uh, well, in situations like that, for example, maybe there was a, a tax loss that year and you know, no income to distribute. Uh, there is a special rule that the commissioner will allow the trustee uh, to nominate uh, in writing uh, up to four beneficiaries to be uh, controllers of the trust and therefore connected. Right. Uh, it's important to have that in writing and to have both the trustee and the beneficiaries uh, sign that. Is this got to do with a significant individual or stakeholder? Is that what uh, this ties up with? Uh, it, it does, mm. uh, though that's actually something that uh, I'll discuss uh Next. Oh, good, good, good. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Jumping ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so a significant individual uh, or a, a CGT concession stakeholder, uh, broadly that's dependent on 
what's known as the small business participation percentage. Uh, so you need to have a small business participation percentage of 20% or more, right. uh, and that'll make you a significant individual. Uh, if you're the spouse of a significant individual and you have a small business participation percentage of anything greater than zero, huh. uh, that also makes you a CGT concession stakeholder. Okay. Uh, so obviously what's important is, well, what is a small business CGT, small business participation percentage? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the key thing to remember there is that it's it can be voting power in the company, uh, entitlement to any dividend that the company may pay uh, or, or unit trust yep. uh, may distribute, uh, entitlement in respect of any distributions of capital, but... Uh, but most importantly, it's the lowest of those three if they're different. Okay, right. Uh, is, is there an impact with uh, the different classes of shares? Exactly or? right, Dave. Okay. Uh, where you have different classes of shares, uh, one benefit uh, could be potentially is that it allow you to uh, pay a dividend to one cl- class of shareholder, uh, but not the other. For example, uh, maybe that class of shareholder is on a lower taxable income ah, yeah. and will be taxed less on the dividend. But there is a risk in doing that uh, because if the classes of shares allow the company to pay a dividend uh, to one shareholder to the exclusion of another, that other shareholder uh, has essentially a uh, concession uh participation percentage of zero being the le- lower of, of the three of the, the three yep, yep. Uh, and in in that case the the company wouldn't have a significant individual uh, and may in fact be prevented from accessing the small business CGT concessions ah, I see it's a, so it can be tricky yes and yeah. in fact that scenario that I just outlined yep. uh, is precisely one that happened uh, to a client that I uh, inherited uh, earlier this year. Right. That, okay. Uh, unfortunately, they um, they had created different classes of shares without realising the potential implications right, of, okay. of doing that. And that's that's what panned out in the end. You're saying? Uh, yes, wow. that's right. Oh. Um, what can you tell us about the? Uh, there's a 15 year exemption, which is interesting. Uh, how, how involved is that? Uh, well, that is a very generous concession. Right. Uh, it sounds good. It, it is. It's about as good as you can get when it comes to uh, tax concession. Uh, essentially, if you meet the conditions, then the entire gain is disregarded. Uh, but there are some further concessions. Uh, there are some further conditions to meet beyond the basic access conditions. And when you're dealing cases other than of uh, permanent incapacity, one of the key conditions is that the relevant individual has to be 55 or over right. when the CGT event happens, and the CGT event must happen in relation to their retirement. Uh, so obviously it becomes important to determine, well, are they retiring? Mm. Uh, and this uh, comes into play in cases where the, the new owner... Uh, asks the seller to stay on for a bit longer. Oh, okay, like yeah. a handover kind of thing. Exactly right. Yeah. In, in a small business context, often a lot of the, the knowledge is in the the owner's 
brain. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, things haven't been formally documented in, in manuals, and so it's very beneficial for the new owner, in some cases, to uh, have that assistance from the, sure, uh, from the old one. Yep. But you need to be careful there that if uh, the, the seller yep. uh, stays on uh, for a sufficiently long period of time or for a sufficiently high enough number of hours, yep. uh, it draws into question whether or not they are in fact retiring and therefore whether or not the event is happening in relation to their retirement. Is, there, is it spelled out, like the, the amount of time that should be given? or uh, there's, no, there's no precise definition, right. uh, though there are some examples that the ATO give. Okay. Uh, and as a general rule of thumb, if uh, we're talking about a period of less than six months, uh, most likely the, uh, yeah, the seller will, will be fine in that situation. Right, right. Uh, they give another example where the owner reduces their hours from 60 hours per week to 35 hours. Huh. Uh, so... Proportionally, a significant reduction, but thirty-five is it's still pretty close week. to yeah, pretty close to a full week. Gosh, it's, they were working long hours before. Yeah, <laughs> no wonder we had to retire. <laughs> exactly right, uh, and that that was an issue for the ATO. They they said in that case, oh, okay, you know, there's not a retirement there. Yep, and the taxpayer, uh, you know, would miss out on this very very generous exemption. Yeah, yep, it's a shame. I suppose another concession that we see um, quite a bit is the. Um, is the fifty percent active asset test? Is there anything you can uh, enlighten us with there? Yeah, uh, absolutely, David. Uh, so the fifty percent active asset test. Uh, just to be clear, that's different to the fifty percent uh, CGT discount that. Oh, that uh, individuals have access to it. Individuals yeah. and trusts. And, right. Uh, uh, super funds, of course, get a third, and companies. Uh, not allowed to access that concession. Right. Uh, this is, in fact, one of the four small business CGT concessions. Yep. Uh, and if you satisfy the basic access conditions, there are no further requirements to be met oh, to okay. be able to get this 50% reduction. Oh, right. So uh, everyone, everyone would be taking that up, I'd imagine? Well, you, you'd think so. Why wouldn't you yeah, reduce yeah, would. your, your tax bill by half if you could? <laughs> Uh, and in most of the case, cases, the answer is yes, you would take advantage of it. But there are actually times where it's beneficial to choose not to really? to apply the concession. Uh, so, for example, uh, if you're talking about trying to maximise the contribution that you can make to superannuation uh, under the retirement exemption, yep. one of the four concessions, uh, then not applying this 50% uh, active asset reduction uh, could assist you in maximising the amount that you're getting into the concessionally taxed superannuation oh, environment. I see. Right, right. Okay. Uh, and the other thing to keep in mind is, of course, uh, sometimes you could claim the concession, but uh, essentially the benefits of that would be taken back when you try to distribute it. Uh, in the case of a company, uh, because no tax is being paid on the exempt portion, uh, there may be uh, situations where there's insufficient franking credits to pass on t uh, to the shareholders. Right, right. Uh, so essentially, the, you're paying the, t the paying the tax at the point of distribution. Uh, th th then, yeah, yeah. And in unit trusts, you need to consider CGT event E4, uh, 
which is basically a, an event that happens when tax, certain tax-free amounts are distributed from unit trust to a beneficiary. Fascinating. Simon, now any more concessions that we can uh, tick off the list? Uh, yes, Steve. Uh, there's a small business rollover uh, that allows uh, eligible taxpayers to defer the capital gain. Okay. Uh, there aren't any uh, additional uh, access conditions to satisfy. However, if uh, certain conditions aren't met by the end of the replacement asset period, right. then a gain is triggered at that point. Sorry, the replacement asset period, how long is that? Uh, so it's it's two years, okay. uh, and you measure from the date of the last CGT event uh, in the income year in which you're applying the small business CGT concessions. Right, okay. Uh, now, if, uh, for example, at the end of that period, uh, the taxpayer hasn't acquired a, a replacement asset, yep. one to replace the... The, the asset you know, being sold, yep. uh, or that, for example, that replacement asset uh, isn't an active asset, you know, one, broadly speaking, being used in a business, yep. uh, then the, the gain that had been deferred uh, gets triggered and included in their assessable income uh, in that year. In that year, okay. One key point that I want to make is that it's almost always a good idea to apply this rollover, uh, and that importantly, there isn't any requirement to intend to apply to acquire a replacement asset. All right. uh, so the way the wording, the legislation uh, is framed, it, it suggests that this is the the intention of the law that what the policymakers were were well, hoping to achieve. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but nowhere is it actually written that. Uh, at the time of saying, oh, yes, I want to apply the small business rollover, that you need to have an intention to acquire a replacement asset. Okay. Uh, so why not pay tax later uh, if you can? <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Uh, yeah, with money, uh, have the money in your pocket yep, uh, yep. rather than the commissioner's pocket. Yep. Uh, it, and in fact, it may also be beneficial in the sense of uh, perhaps a capital loss has been made in uh, in that replacement asset period and therefore you would be able to apply, apply. those losses. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, or perhaps uh, the taxpayer's taxable income is lower in the the year that the deferred gain deferred, is triggered. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think the perhaps the best, uh, most beneficial case of applying this, this rollover uh, is perhaps in a case where you have a taxpayer... Uh, and the relevant individual is 53 or 54, so approaching 55 in the next two years. Right. Uh, and if you're talking about applying the retirement concession, uh, taxpayers who are under 55 must contribute the exempt amount into superannuation. Uh, however, if they're over 55, uh, they, there's no requirement no, yeah. to do so. Okay. Uh, they can spend it... How, how they like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you have a taxpayer, a client who is approaching 55, then you can uh, essentially apply these concessions in conjunction with each other uh, and give the client the, the option of whether or not they want to uh, put their money into super and, and tie it up until uh, 
a condition of release is, is met yep, or yep. Uh, perhaps they would prefer to use it for uh, for other things. Yeah, yeah. Holiday? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, it sounds like there's a bit of flexibility. Is there any... I mean, if you found, Simon, that clients come, can... Um, well, manipulate the rules. Not manipulate the rules, but like, you know... Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's Look, it's always a good idea to have a thorough knowledge of what can and can't be claimed. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes if you try to get a bit too clever, right. uh, you may find yourself uh, in trouble. Uh, and I'm thinking here of the uh, Part 4A general anti-avoidance provisions. Okay. Uh, and, of course, they don't apply solely to the small business CGT no, concessions, no. but uh, certainly they can potentially apply in that context. And uh, so broadly speaking, if you enter into a, a scheme or an arrangement and the dominant purpose of that is obtaining a tax benefit, mm. for example, to be able to access one of these four uh, small business CGT concessions, uh, then you do risk running afoul of, of the uh, Part 4A anti-avoidance provisions right. and, and having that tax benefit uh, denied by the Commissioner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And these rules were amended back in 2013 and I think those amendments uh, make it even more likely that they could potentially apply. That, that anti-avoidance provision still can apply if you don't do the right thing uh, or, or have evidence that what you're doing is legit. That's right. right. The, there was a case before the AAT uh, by the name of Track, where uh, in the weeks leading up to the sale, uh, the taxpayer's business underwent a, a restructure. Right. Uh, and as a result of that restructure, they were able to satisfy the, the conditions and, and claimed the concessions in yep. their tax return. Uh, but the commissioner was able to successfully argue that they only went through this restructure uh, in the weeks leading up to the sale yep. so that they could satisfy uh, the requirements right. uh, to obtain the tax benefit. Which they otherwise would not have. I- exactly right. Okay. right. Uh, and because of that, they uh, were denied the concession. Mm. So uh, generally speaking, if what you're doing is not uh, too controversial uh, or, for example, if you're uh, simply applying... Uh, making a choice that mm. the legislation says you're allowed to make, uh, you should be all right. But uh, the more complex the the arrangement and, and the closer you do it to the time of the uh, event, oh, right. uh, the harder it will be to argue that uh, you had legitimate reasons for, yep. for for doing it and it wasn't merely to... Uh, it sort of raises a little bit of a red flag for the commissioner to... Yes, I, th- I think so. ...pay attention. Okay. Um, all right. Is that... Uh, that's Again, you've filled in, uh, filled in the gaps in our knowledge, Simon. I really appreciate that. Uh, thanks, Steve. Um, uh, th- there's uh, a few more we didn't uh, manage to get to today, yep. but uh, there's uh, an article appearing in... Uh, soon in the, uh, the, oh, the taxpayer, taxpayer. Good, journal. Excellent. So uh, listeners uh, that want to hear the remaining tips and traps uh, should make sure they get a copy. That's in the next issue, Correct, it'll be in the December issue. December so, issue, yeah. Right, excellent. Keep our eye out for that. Thanks again, Simon, for all that. Now, just a reminder, Simon uh, Dorovich from A&A Tax Legal Consulting, uh, giving us uh, his uh, expert um, tips there. Uh, thanks again, David. Thank you, Steve. Thank, Thank you, Simon. Thanks, David. Thanks, Steve. My pl- pleasure to be on. 